Timeless Voyager Radio. Self-development radio for the open mind. Interviews with leading edge authors and speakers. And now, Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager Radio. Hello everyone, this is Bruce Stephen Holmes, the Timeless Voyager. And joining me today is Janice Tucker. She has written two books, one entitled The Way of the Rainbow Warrioress, and the other, Tying Cameras to Deer Tales. Let's talk, first of all, welcome to the show, and let's start by, how did you come up with a title like Tying Cameras to Deer Tales? I, um, that t- title actually derived from a dream that I had had. At, there was a point in my life where I was um, trying to get a sense of the direction and I needed to go and the, the purpose um, that we're all looking for. And uh, I asked before I went to sleep one night, what, you know, I asked, what should I do? You know, help me, <laughs> dream keepers. And uh, I had this interesting dream. This doesn't always occur like this, but it happened In other words, you're not to... writing books about your dreams on a regular basis. No, <laughs> no. They're not the titles of your books. Yeah. Uh, but this was uh, uh, kind of interesting because the first dream um, image gave me the image of working for a, a real um, sort of... Uh, busy modern company and it had to do with selling hairbrushes or something to do with with marketing and business and commerce basically and uh, and uh, when I woke up from that I said oh now you know this just is not me you know I can't do this sort of thing I don't like it you know it just isn't who I am and so I thought there must be some mistake here and uh, so I went back to sleep again and said come on give it to me straight <laughs> then I had this dream where I don't know exactly what it was that I heard, but it came through something like, get a job with the Forest Service tying cameras to deer tails. Hmm. And I woke up and I thought, oh no, this is really silly. But I decided to really think about that because I have worked with opening dream symbols before, both in my studies of Jungian psychology and also working in, in some of the Native American um, teachings. All right, now let's, let's for our listeners, talk a little bit about you for a moment, just a mm-hmm. brief biography. Now, you have uh, a bachelor's uh, degree from uh, the University of California in Santa Barbara in in German. Yeah, German literature. And then uh, you went on to get your master's in English from the same university. Mm-hmm. And you also have a psychology degree and master's. Right. The psychology master's came through a uh, program uh, administered by Goddard College, and I pretty much designed my own program mm. because that's the way they work. And my uh, my main interest was studying the psychology of Jung, uh, Carl Jung, and uh, that type of, of work. Right. So now, how mm. did you move into the realm of shamanism from Carl well, that, Jung? That, again, you know... Uh, came from a dream I had. Because I, these books are yeah. basically shamanic. Yes, yes. Well, a lot of Jungian psychology really works in a shamanic way. Um, you know, there are similarities. All right, for our listeners, mm-hmm. what is a shaman? What is shamanic? <laughs> hmm, that's a big... <laughs> that could really... Um, I'll try to 
to be really concise about it, and I'm not sure that everybody would agree with me. Uh, a well, shaman, your, a shaman is a healer. Okay. There are many kinds of healers. A healer of the mind is um, could and and emotions would be a shaman like a psychologist. There are healers of, of the body who work with mm-hmm. herbs. Well, what is their tradition? And, Where do they come from? Uh, do you know? Yeah. I'm. I really um, don't know if I can. You know, I could give you an accurate history. All, only that. Um, you know, the tribal cultures. Right. Well, that we know, for example, throughout the world had their medicine people who knew how mm-hmm. to work, uh, not only on the physical level with bodies and body physical illnesses, but also knew how to work um, the level of spirit. So is this a generic yeah. term that refers to so. uh, some type of a healer of healing done yeah. through some type of Indian ritual? Uh, Indian um, meaning quote or a quote unquote uh, American Indian or well and tri- native tribes from any from, native tribe yeah throughout the the so the even in Africa world. would you call that yes yes I would mm-hmm. all right. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, I would say it's a generic name. Um, Mercia Eliada, I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation of his name, wrote a book called Shamanism um, in which he, uh, he researched shamanism all over the world, not just mm-hmm. uh, the Native American aspect of it. Now you actually mm-hmm. went and studied then with Lynn Andrews. Mm-hmm. Why don't we talk a moment about Lynn Andrews so we can get a basis on how you wrote your books. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, my work with Lynn began shortly after she wrote her first book, Medicine Woman. It had just come out. I had read it. And I was fascinated by it. And I um, just serendipitously happened to be uh, at the announcement of... Um, to a group that she was going to be giving a workshop, or not a workshop, but beginning to work with a group of women from this this particular teacher's um, circle. Why and, are women uh, so much more involved in this? Uh, well, Lynn's teachings. Lynn's teachings um, were were to her as a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, to for her to take her. Uh, femaleness and you know in, in, to respect it and carry it forward and comes from a long tradition of, um, of female oh medicine and understanding um, of from the female what female power is what female energy is and and um, she, her her process had to do with recovering that. Mm-hmm. And uh, carrying it on into the world. Now she works with both men and women. Right. But when she first started, she had a group of women um, apprentices or a group of students for the purpose of you know conveying those ideas. Now you began to meet with her personally. Yes, I did. Yeah, first I began meeting with a group that she started, a small group, maybe you know ten or twelve people, and uh, that went for about a year. We would meet regularly. And uh, then we be she, that group disbanded um, because she wanted to work with people individually uh, instead um, to to because we needed you know to work on some <laughs> very individual things and uh, so then we would continue that way and the meetings weren't regular not like going to your therapist once a week or, or whatever mm-hmm. she would she would um, teach us something help us see something that we needed to know and then we would have to 
you know, go and, and integrate that into our lives in a very practical way. Um, it might have to do with healing the wounded inner child or, you know, taking... Which we're hearing a lot of these days. A lot of, right. And uh, anyway, um, we, would, we would work with... Um, it might have to do with uh, getting more in touch with the way we'd been giving away our power and seeing how we do that in our lives and learning to, um, to stop doing that, begin um, uh, moving more from our own essence. And uh, this would take certain forms depending on who we were. <clears throat> All right. Now, uh, when did you begin writing? I began writing... Um, I've uh, been writing... Specifically these, these yeah, particular books. This particular book took form... Uh, in 19, what is it now, 1987, mm -hmm. 1986. And uh, actually, I had been collecting this material in my mind or in my journals uh, for some time, and I had no intention of writing a book, but then I, all of it, I suddenly saw how a pattern was forming of, of information, and I personally was working on... Um, the, the need to, to take my own authority and to recognize what I know and respect what I know and learn how to make giveaway as, you know, is part of what's being taught. Um, All right. So, uh, how did you become interested in the Native American shamanic tradition? Uh, I became interested in the Native American tradition first through... Um, uh, books, uh, a book by Hayemio Storm called Song of Hayoka, which I just happened to see one day in the Earthling bookstore here in Santa Barbara. I picked it up and took it home and read it, and I just was enthralled. And shortly after that, I heard that um, Hayemio Storm, who's often called Chuck Storm, was giving a workshop. Yeah, I would think with a name like that, yeah. definitely shortened. <laughs> right. <laughs> was giving a workshop down in Ojai where he lived for a while. So I attended some of his workshops, which taught about the medicine wheel and the circle of law and uh, experienced my first sweat lodge. And that's We're going we're gonna to define these terms. Okay, let's yeah. start defining uh, medicine wheel. Well, the medicine wheel is... Um, is a sacred circle, and the sacred circle occurs in religions all over the world. Mm -hmm. The mandala is one in the Native American tradition. You see the the rose window in in the cathedrals of churches in Europe, and there you have another mandala or a sacred circle. It's and been said that the the circle was supposed to be looked at and not turned into a wheel that we were supposed to use. We were not supposed to use this as a wheel. Well, I don't know about that. The the circle, uh, the wheel, the medicine wheel is... Um, I mean, is an actual is a way, way of transporting a vehicle, I'm saying. Oh, <laughs> I see. We're That's not supposed I mean. to fly in circles. Right. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the medicine wheel is... Um, I, I don't know everything there is to know about it because these traditions have been passed on for a long time and not all information is given to the public. But Hayamio Storm did um, describe the simple medicine wheel in his book, Seven Arrows. And uh, it's a teaching circle. It, it, um, it has, you know, the different directions on it, north, south, east, and west, are connected with concepts that um, teach about what you know about the philosophy 
of you know of their their perspective um, about what the universe is made out of and what the connections are. Um, for instance, um, you have the the elements connected with certain parts of the medicine wheel, and you have um, the different um, the different um, families of beings on on the earth. You know the animals, the plants, the minerals. Um, you have earth, air, fire, and water. Mm. This is at a, at a you know a very basic level, and um, you have uh, concepts connected with different parts of the wheel, such as in the east, illumination and enlightenment; in the south, the qualities of trust and innocence; in the west, the qualities of introspection and intuition; and in the, in the north, knowledge and wisdom, or strength and wisdom. Well, now let's examine these for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, east does not necessarily mean east, then. Or does it mean east? Does it mean east? It, well, it means east because when you're working, for instance, in a ceremony um, having to do with this circle, then uh, the, the east stands for certain qualities or certain understanding. But do you face that direction for those qualities? You might sit in that direction. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in the center of the circle, you might face that direction, depending on what you're doing. All right, you mentioned the medicine wheel. I realize there's a lot more to it. Is there something else you wanted to cover on that? Well, n- it's a circle that's used in um, ceremony, and it's used for teaching. What kind of a ceremony would you use that in? I think the medicine wheel is used in almost every ceremony and every healing in, mm-hmm. in Native American culture because it has to do with... Um, Centering yourself within now, the reality drawn? of all is there is. Well, the, the, the Hopi, the Hopi draw it. For instance, they don't call it a medicine wheel, but they, you know, use the four directions in their healing ceremonies. You've heard of, you know, the sand painting, mm-hmm. and that usually has to do with a circular form. And uh, as I say, there's a lot more that I have yet sure. to know about it. I'm just, I'm speaking in very basic terms here. Um, uh, the medicine wheel is used in in uh, the the Plains Indian ceremonies, um, as such, you know. Okay. Okay. This is Bruce Stephen Holmes. I'm speaking right now with Janice Tucker, and we're talking about the uh, shamanic perception of reality. Well, actually, we haven't really started talking about the shamanic perception of reality. We're talking about some of the devices, or or uh, certainly devices. What is a sweat lodge? Well, let me just say one more thing about the wheel. We're talking about sacred space here, but what's important to realize is that um, although we can we can use the symbol and we can use this this the concepts um, for our own personal growth, the idea is to create sacred space in our own lives. In Lynn Andrews' book *Star Woman*, a shamanist named Twin Dreamer said to her, "Before you is the universe." Remember that all things are sacred. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we we realize really that sacred space isn't just in spec, you know, specifically designated circles or churches mm-hmm. or temples, um, those kinds all. of spaces. Yes, but it, that it's everywhere. It's a whole universe, and it's the place where you stand or sit right mm-hmm. now. And um, as one. Um, teacher told me once, you don't have to go to Sedona, Arizona to be in an energy vortex. Okay. You are one. All right. 
So um, that needs to also be I like understood. that. <laughs> All right, uh, a sweat lodge. Okay, a sweat lodge. I, um, I've experienced a sweat lodge a few times, um, but I really um, cannot tell you um, all of the, you know, the um, philosophy and, and spirituality behind it. There well, are a lot of Well, let's describe what it is to our listeners. <laughs> okay. And a, a sweat lodge is, um, it's, it's usually, not always, made of willows, uh, willow t- um, branches uh, formed into a kind of a hogan, a circular uh, dwelling covered with blankets or skins, usually okay. blankets. <laughs> All right, so it's like yeah. a little uh, environment. Yeah, uh, and uh, the uh, it's it's like a um, uh, sauna, really. All right, you Only go inside. It, 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 it's a but it's a ceremonial process. It's a process to uh, the the heat and the fire. Um, all of the four elements are connected there. You're, it's an right, so earth. You, it's an earth lodge, so you're very co- connected with right. Mother Earth, but you're also connected with spirit. The fire is there. There's a fire. But um, you're inside this. Thing. You're inside, and and you're sweating. Yeah, and it's, it's a purification <laughs> okay. process, um, and uh, it also has to do with. Um, with uh, and it's a, it's an impetus to push you up into a into a higher awareness. How hot does it get in there? Oh, I have no idea. It can it it depends on the person who's leading the sweat. They might make it very hot, or they might be very gentle and kind, with, mm-hmm. depending on who's in there and what they're trying the people, to achieve. People, of course, could leave if they were having trouble yes, breathing or something. Always, like. <laughs> always, yes. Okay, but it's it's really a spiritual. How long do you stay in one process of process to? Uh, Usually there's um, there's four doors to the sweat. It's called um, so there's four um, units of time, and I really don't know how long mm-hmm. each of them lasts. And I, I think it's also very variable. These aren't rigid things. But I mean, we're not talking about yeah. an hour. Or are we talking about? Oh, an hour? it might be an hour. Uh-huh. Yeah, it might be an hour. How many people generally are involved in a sweat lodge at one time? Depends on how big the lodge is. Okay. You know, how many people can fit in. Usually I've been in very small ones that include maybe about eight people mm-hmm. or so. So a sweat lodge is not just going in, as you said, to a sauna and, and sitting there and, and, and boiling no. off. The... It has to do with moving into a, a level of higher awareness, uh, achieving some uh, insights. Um, so you're brought into this with a teacher. Yeah. Yes. And there's particular ceremonies, again, that are done before, during, and after? Right, right. right. Uh-huh. Now, what and would be the, the best place to learn about those is um, in, um, in uh, Black Elk's book. Uh, what's the name of the, the person who helped him? Right, that. Anyways, it's called the sacred pipe. Mm-hmm. He describes some of the uh, sacred traditions, and the sweat lodge is one of them. And the uh, the ceremony is described in in uh, you know detail as far as what each of the meanings of its. So yeah. we're we're pretty much talking about sacred space then this week. Again, this week. sacred space. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we you mentioned three things. I lost the the second one. Um, anyway, <laughs> we could always review it some other time. But um, we've talked about circles. We've talked about—is this an application? Well, a sweat lodge. Well, yeah, certainly because um, you know you—it you, has to do with learning about yourself and mm-hmm. healing yourself. 
so that you can live more fruitfully and more completely and more as a, of a whole person in the world. All right. I wanted definitely to talk about altars. Mm. Okay. Um, if you wouldn't mind. I thought it was a, a wonderful place to, 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 uh, to move. As a matter of fact, you know, we'll segue after that. Um, the altar is something that I began to learn to respect and mm -hmm. use to a degree in Lynn Andrews um, meetings. Now and there are, I think, just to perhaps move this in mm -hmm. a direction that mm -hmm. that won't be too hard for people mm -hmm. to take. Mm -hmm. um, religiously speaking, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about what the significance of an altar is. Mm -hmm. And then we can we can speak specifically about the shamanic well, I think understanding in, of an altar in churches and temples and in many places you have altars and there are usually certain symbols on that altar that have to do with the kind of um, concepts and energies right. you're you're dealing with and uh, so they're they're like uh, and these symbols may be reflections of. Um, mm, of energies or the ideas that you're working with, they and we're working, they, they're, they're sort of give it form. They give it, okay. you know, so you can see it. You know, like a cross, right. it means certain things. Right now, when you've got, okay. for, let's say, mm -hmm. a perfect example, mm -hmm. uh, the Christian altar. Right. All right. First of all, it reflects the uh, the deities, the spirits, the whole area that is Christian. Right. Uh huh. And, and the symbology there is Christian. Right. Exactly. But itself, as an altar, is very strong. Mm -hmm. Okay, the altar is a place where uh, many people like to um, focus their spiritual um, work. It's a place that you know allows them to say, "Okay, now I'm I'm doing my spiritual work." It's like a medicine wheel. It's become sacred space for tapping inner wisdom and life energy. Okay, through meditation, song, prayer, whatever people like to do around their altars. Um, and it can be very complex. Uh, I describe uh, uh, an altar fairly simply in my book, The Way of the Rainbow Warrioress, in Jaguar Woman, Lynn's, uh, Andrew's book, Jaguar Woman, she talks about a fairly complex altar, which includes many symbols of both the dark and the light, so the whole balance of reality. Um, so I would say that... Um, a medicine wheel is another form of sacred, sacred space, but you have to realize it is also a tool, and it's, it can be dispensed with, ultimately. It helps you at a certain um, point in your spiritual development to, uh, to focus on certain things and to find out um, what's you know, reflecting in your own uh -huh. spiritual growth So we can have process. an altar. Anyone can make any type of altar and, and have it in their home. Right and create right. A, create a sacred area. Not not that the whole place isn't sacred, but at least a reminder that this area is special. Right. Uh huh. And uh, so that then they have that orientation um, as a place to work right. uh, in their own spiritual process. Um, for example, uh, it was really important to me at the time that I was working with Lynn and uh, to discover and to uh, really, um, you know. To, to really begin respecting my femaleness and to and to uh, learn to um, 
know, to take my personal power and to just be myself in right. the world and not always be trying to, you know, live for everybody else's approval. So I placed a goddess image on my altar. Now, this wasn't a particular goddess. Some people will use Tara sure. or the Virgin Mary or um, Kuan Yin or a particular um, goddess figure. It was just a, a beautiful woman. You know, because it represented to me my femaleness that I really needed to be in touch with. And so this became a focus for, for my work for a while. Um, ultimately, you know, we're, we're, um, the altar should represent wholeness, both male and female balance. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, those of you who have a male image on your altar, you <laughs> will also want to eventually find that balance, too. Um, but the, the altar... Um, reflects yourself. It isn't something outside of you that you're worshiping. It's a reflection of you. And of so a person need not feel this is some kind of an of uh, of a um, an image that we are starting to pray to or an, an idol or anything like this, but rather this has a particular purpose. Right. It really... So this is not idolatry or anything. No, no. Right. Um, in fact, um, modern psychology uses um, a concept similar to the altar in Santre therapy, which is often a therapy used with children, in which children find images that reflect what's going on in, unconsciously in themselves, and that is a way they. It's can, like developing your own little Rorschach test, except in sand. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Now, an, an altar can be very powerful in terms of of uh, getting in touch with. Um, even getting into alternate states of consciousness. Um, but that takes some understanding mm -hmm. and training to do that. Um, and I'm not an authority on okay. that aspect of This is Bruce Stephen yeah. Holmes, The Timeless Voyager, and, and I'm talking right now today with Janice Tucker. Janice, uh, spirit words. What are spirit words? And why do we need to know <laughs> what they are and how do they help us or not? Or do they help us? Yeah, well, let's see. I want to find a little quote for you here. Uh, Lynn wrote in one of her books, Shaman words return your spirit, lost spirit of the great earth round. I return to the women of mystery, the spirit words that have been lost. I entitled one of my chapters Spirit Words because um, language is sacred just as space is sacred. Oh, and the okay. great quote is right, uh -huh. right from the Bible, in the beginning was the Word, right. and right. the Word was God, and the Word was with God. I right. think that's the correct quote. And uh, your idea of the seed sound in, mm -hmm. in uh, Eastern traditions, the, the Om. Right, the mantra. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so language is sacred in, in Native American healing and spiritual traditions. Uh, words have power. And the repetition of words generates even more power. So we want to be careful what we repeat. <laughs> right. Well, our words um, resonate. Kind of, they are vibrations that go out into the universe, and they exist there. They, you know, you don't keep hearing them, but they still the vibrations still exist. So words do create form. Yes. And that form does return. Uh, well, Zwala, a medicine teacher that uh, Lynn worked with, that the name. Uh, whether that was her name or not, I'm not sure. Um, and Lynn asked her, why do shamans go around chanting all the time and making weird noises? And she was told that 
Words, sounds, and tones are what hold our reality together. Okay, every life form has a sound, and sound is form. No, not it's it's not as um, um, dense right, as a physical as form, physical, right. but it is still form. I wonder what's going on when we're hearing all these advertisements over and over again on the airwaves. I wonder what yeah. that's creating in our well. reality. Well, we won't, we won't answer that question. <laughs> Creates consumers. Listeners, <laughs> listeners can think about what we're creating here. Right. But um, stories are told and, and chants are sung uh, within ceremony that transport the participants into sacred time and space of the tribal mythology or healing imagery. And uh, I described in um, The Way of the Rainbow Warrioress um, um, something that I'd read about Maria Sabina, a, sh uh, a shamanist from Mexico, who, who uh, related, and I'll just quote this, If music sounds, I dance as a partner with the principal ones, and I also see that words fall. They come from up above as if, as if they were little luminous objects falling from the sky. The language falls on the sacred table, falls on my body. Then with my hands I catch word after word and I sing. And I always loved that particular uh, quote because um, I, I've experienced that too in working with with song and working with music and words as a writer and as a songwriter. My second book, Tying Cameras to Deer Tales, is Songs of the Earth and Animals. And often it feels that way. It feels as if as if the words are just falling into your lap and you, you, you really don't know where they come from. It's light turning into a form that becomes word. And, uh, and then we become translators of that resonance, those of us who write songs or, or uh, words or speak them. So my language is very sacred to me in that way so those, too. So is a song an application of a spirit word? Definitely, yeah. yes. And that's what my second book is, very much. Now your second book's title? Is Tying Cameras to Deer Tales and the subtitle is Songs of the Earth and Animals. Right. It is a book of songs as well as essays. Very beautiful book too. I've been looking at it. It's uh, very well laid out and you have uh, the songs are actually written so people can learn how to play them and sing them at the same time. I think they're very accessible. Yes, I, I, uh, I, would, I would like to see um, people or hear people singing them and uh, I think there, there are songs that can be sung um, just any time for pleasure. I mean, a parent could sing some of these songs to a child at bedtime or they could be sung on Earth Day, special occasions like that or World Healing Day. There are songs that are meant for that or for just um, connecting with earth and animal energies. Those um, people who, who love, you know, nature, I think will like those songs because that's where those songs come from. All right. Um, body, mind, and dream body. What are we talking about here? Well, I was learning about that in my work with Lynn, and um, I think you need to find some very expert teachers on these things. But the idea is that there are other levels of um, knowledge besides that which is just mental, okay, that which we experience as in working in college classes, um, that our, our bodies have m knowledge and have memory that we can call on. 
mind body or rather body mind and dream body okay well I um, had to learn a little bit about that through direct experience and um, these aren't things that can be understood just with the mental mind as if reading about them in a college textbook Um, one of the ways that I began to get a some kind of perception about what those terms meant was when I was working in um, I was with Lynn one day and I um, was having a terrible time with my throat it was all stopped up and I kept coughing we were sitting in in a restaurant and all of a sudden Lynn told me um, to just go down into my throat I mean that isn't logical that's not something you can do with your mental mind so I literally well not literally but I had to um, take a stroll in my own throat and I didn't question if I had questioned it and tried to rationalize it I couldn't have done it done through, through some type of visualization yeah basically through through visualization but um, then I I, uh, I was able to find out what was wrong by doing this and bring that information back up and, and take care of it it's a very interesting way of getting in touch with your body what um, might be called body mind, and the the uh, the way the body holds emotions, and that sometimes will come forth as images if then you search for them, and that is a can then become a part of the healing process. Now, what about the dream body? Is this like Carlos Castaneda talking yeah. about the dream body? Yeah, okay, right. For our listeners, right? Uh huh. And which which in which you're moving into another. Um, part of your being and uh, I mean, is this I still, the emotional body the the subtle body is this a different I have to say I've much yet to learn about this and um, there I, I think going to to Lynn's books or, or um, um, Carlos Castaneda's books would might be more helpful okay. um, w- one thing about um, working uh, in these other aspects the important thing is getting out of just mental mind and having to have everything uh, rational and and um, and learn through through your your brain you you can learn things through experience through your experience both within the dream and within your body work things that you do physically so making masks or shields or bundles or making songs these processes all have to do with um, with learning in a way that isn't just um, just mental just left Mm-hmm. Left side, we're not just about, left brain, we're right? We're talking right stuff here. Right. We're, it doesn't right. seem like we're on the right side. So it's not just intellectualized knowledge. It's knowledge acquired through direct hands-on experience. So we're talking subjective. Right. So so when we're talking about um, dream body or body mind, we're talking about getting out of just you know your mental processes <laughs> and making a mask, dancing a mask, making a shield are ways to do this. A mask, meaning really making a mask, making like a paper mache mask. A mask, yeah, and like what a do you paper do with this ma- thing? Um, Well, the process of making a, ma- a mask, um, in the way you you create it and design it and color it, all of these things reflect. Um, so again, we're creating our own little Roshark thing. Yes, again. Uh, much like with the altar. So we don't, you don't, you don't make a mask like a mask you saw. That's not the purpose, is it? No. The purpose here is to make something that reflects something that reflects about something your. That you're doing. It bring, will bring something ab- from your own uh, consciousness up 
from your subconscious or that's something that is presently unconscious in you, it might bring it forward so that you can actually see it out there and, and learn personal. from it. Yes, it is I mean, personal. you don't go around saying, this is my mask. I mean, you could, but I mean, this is something that's for you. Yeah, it is. And sometimes if you're working with a group, of course, it's shared in, in a ceremonial way or, or in a... Um, now, what do you do with this mask? Well, uh, in Lynn's, uh, when I was working with Lynn, which is where I made my masks, um, we danced them. We put them on and hmm. and and felt what they were and what they represented. If it was a death mother mask or a or a um, teeth mother mask, as she called it, these were negative hmm. um, female energies to really feel them and allow them to come forth and acknowledge their reality. And um, uh, This is definitely esoteric information we're getting right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, We're running out of time, so uh, what I'd like to do is I, I, I'd love to talk for hours about the masks, mm -hmm. but you used the term rainbow for a reason. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what that was? Yeah, well, the rainbow warrior or warrioress is, is one who is a bridge. Like, the, the rainbow bridge is a real common symbol in um, many Native American There's traditions. There's a book, I think, called The Rainbow Bridge. There may be. Yeah. There's the, 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 uh, the image is, is a beautiful one, and it reoccurs again and again. So it means being a bridge between cultures, between religions, between species, between body and spirit. Okay, or between, you know, your inner and outer life. And there's um, also a Chumash myth, which many Santa Barbarans know about, that refers to the rainbow bridge over which uh, humans once transported themselves. And um, transported they, themselves where? From from uh, earthly not, world to a spirit world? It, or? It, uh, I'm I'm not sure. In okay. the in the myth, it's between one island and the mainland, mm -hmm. but I think that's symbolic. Um, um, Castaneda um, talks about how Don Juan could transport himself um, and uh, perhaps this is about that or something like Star Trek, you know, beam me up Scotty, where you actually right. move from one place to right. another through a light form um, uh, but that's, you know, that may or may not be the case uh, but uh, the dolphins um, were people who fell off this rainbow bridge in the myth and then became um, denizens of the sea where they learned a different way of living and uh, one of my songs in tying cameras to deer tails is a song that the dolphins sang to me and uh, and it is about connecting you know that the rainbow bridge is is this this light connection between animals people rocks plants and sky and there are people who can see these connections and um, you know, to hear that song and then convey it to others is a part of what it means to be a rainbow warrior, is to, 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 to receive a message from another species like the dolphins and then say, okay, this is what they're saying to us. And I take that very seriously. But it's fun, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to be, uh, go into your child self um, to, to understand that process, to uh, be, be receptive to it. But um, these are bridges between us. Um, Hayemio Storm's book, Seven Arrows, talks, talks about the seven rainbow arrow, arrows, and these are attitudes and understandings um, by which humans can raise themselves beyond the limitations of ego concerns 
um, like attachment, dependency, judgment, criticism, manipulation, control, and so forth, go beyond those uh, ego concerns and these these um, particular teachings about the rainbow arrows have to do with that. You use so, the word warrior very much the way Carlos used it. It has to do with being a warrior of spirit, um, having to do with um, not you know, necessarily being soldiers at a physical level or warriors at a physical level, but um, but um, going. Oh, I'm I'm losing my thread here. Right. Well, you. But it has to do with a battle for consciousness. Right. Um, against all you know things that would keep us out of balance and keep us asleep, and a lot of you know just being totally engrossed in in our ego. So needs. we're talking about awakening. Awakening. Right. Right. And that's what being a warrior is about. It's being a warrior um, in order to to uh, connect us, stay awake to our spirituality. Right. The book. Mm-hmm. The Way of the Rainbow Warrioress, Janice Tucker. Janice, I want to thank you. Your other book, Tying Cameras to Deer Tales, we didn't get a chance to talk a lot about it, but it is a beautiful book, very beautiful illustrations. As a matter of fact, the illustrations are magnificent. Uh, should people write their own songs, do you think? Not only sing songs they know, I mean, you've written oh, your own. I, in, in, uh, I really recommend that people um, beat on a drum, chant, sing, just allow that voice to come up within themselves and to discover their personal voice in this way. It doesn't even have to be in words. Just find your sounds and begin to let that come out and, and, uh, and, you know, and allow your, your, yourself to speak in some way and to let those feelings come up in the form of words. All right. Thank you, Janice. And thank you for tuning in to The Timeless Voyager. This is Bruce Stephen Holmes, and I hope that your own personal voyage through life towards the development of your highest potential is a joyous and successful one.
Two.